to the king. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, the one who has brought us to the new week that we are in. Let us lift up our hearts and our voices and thank the Lord. Hallelujah. That it was by his mercy that we are Thank in the land Lord. of the living. Thank Blessed be God. Hallelujah. 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 Okay, today our focus is on this very fascinating story of the man that was born blind. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts. Let us pray. Father, we bow in humble adoration to you, our God, our King, the author of life, the one who sent your son to reveal your ways to us. Oh, speak to our hearts, draw us to yourself, conform us, each one of us, into the image of your son, that we may walk this earth the very same way he walked it, to the end that the kingdom of our God will prosper in our lives and prosper through us. For it is in Jesus' awesome name we pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Okay, Amen. we go straight to John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus went along, this is the New International Version. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Verse 5, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Hallelujah. Blessed be God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, it would appear by way of introduction that the story of the man born blind was following on the exchanges in the temple presence that we were studying in John chapter 8. The recorded story began with, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Having escaped their murderous intentions in the temple, our Lord Jesus came across a man who was born blind. His disability must have evoked immense gratitude to God, or must evoke rather, immense gratitude to God from all of us who see. When a man is born blind, he has no way of knowing what the world given to us by God looks like. He could feel. 
he could taste, he could touch, he could smell, but he could not see. Now comes the disciples' curiosity. Verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. For this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, it is difficult to be precise about why the disciples asked this question. But quite a few thoughts are possible. The first natural one must derive from the encounter of John chapter 5, verses 13 to 14. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Verse 14, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So here we have a man whose sickness was a direct result of his sin. That is not a strange idea altogether. For even these days, we have sicknesses that are as a result of sin. A man once said to me that he had to stop having affairs because hiding them from his wife was putting him under so much pressure that he had developed hypertension. As a young doctor, um, I worked in the urology clinic and there were an array of men in their 40s and 50s. And the consultant told us that they must have suffered gonorrhea um, in the days when penicillin was not universally available. And so now they have stricture. So it is not an altogether strange thing, you know, that people can have sickness as a result of their sin. So when the master who should know tells a man that his sin was killing him, a man born blind would pose a dilemma. If sickness is as a result of sin, a man born blind will need a different kind of explanation. Some commentators posit that the disciples asked the question because of the prevalent thought amongst the Jews about the relationship between sin and sickness, which has its origins in the Garden of Eden. Here is a thought from Adam Clark. Who did sin, this man or his parents? The doctrine of the transmigration of souls appears to have been an article in the creed of the Pharisees. And it was pretty general, both among the Greeks and the Asiatics. The Pythagoreans believed the souls of men were sent into other bodies for the punishment of some sin, which they had committed in a pre-existent state. This seems to have been the foundation of the disciples' question to our Lord. Did this man sin in a pre-existent state that he's punished in this body with blindness? Or did his parents commit some sin for which they are first plagued in their offspring? The Jewish rabbis have had the same belief from the very remotest antiquity. Josephus 
the Jewish historian, gives an account of the doctrine of the Pharisees on this subject. He intimates that the souls of those only who were pious were permitted to reanimate human bodies. And this was rather by way of reward than punishment. And that the souls of the vicious are put into eternal prisons where they are continually tormented and out of which they can never escape. But it is very likely that Josephus has not told the whole truth here and that the doctrine of the Pharisees on this subject was nearly the same as that of those who believe in purgatory, which is that those who are very wicked go irrecoverably to hell. But those who are not so bad have the privilege of expiating their venial sins in purgatory. This is the way to understand the doctrine of the Pharisees on transmigration. Those who were comparatively pious went into other bodies for the expiation of any remaining guilt which had not been removed previously due to sudden or premature death, after which they were fully prepared for paradise. But others who had been incorrigibly wicked were sent at once into hell without ever being offered the privilege of an amendment or escape. Now, you, you, you can see the, the, the trend of thought prevalent in the society, in the community, in the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must admit that this is a troubling question in every age. As noted by Butler in his analytical Bible exposition, here is Butler. The question asked by the disciples voiced a problem that has perplexed man from the beginning of time. Why do people suffer? On the surface, there often seems to be a lot of inequity in suffering. The disciples limited the possibilities to the man or his parents. But the principle involved was current thinking among the Jews. It was thought that wherever there was a more than ordinary sufferer, there was also a more than ordinary sinner. The book of Job negates that thinking, of course. It is noted that parents can indeed be there by their sin, injure a child with birth defects. The idea that the blind man was responsible himself was from a tradition based on Jacob and Esau struggling in the womb of Rebekah. Buckley's study Bible, on the other hand, echoes similar thoughts. Here is Buckley. When the disciples saw the blind man, they used the opportunity to put to our Lord Jesus a problem with which Jewish thought had always been deeply concerned and which is still a problem today. The Jews connected suffering and sin. They walked on the assumption that wherever there was suffering, somewhere there was sin. They walked on the assumption that wherever there was suffering, somewhere there was sin. So they asked Jesus their question. This man, they said, is blind. Is his blindness due to his own sin or to the sin of his parents? How could the blindness possibly be due to his own sin? 
when he had been blind from his birth? To that question, the Jewish theologians gave two answers. Some of them had the strange notion of prenatal sin. They actually believed that a man could begin to sin while still in his mother's womb. The second answer is that in the time of our Lord Jesus, the Jews believed in the pre-existence of the soul. They really got that idea from Plato and the Greeks. They believed that all souls existed before the creation of the world in the Garden of Eden, or that they were in the seventh heaven or in a certain chamber waiting to enter into a body. The Greeks had believed that such souls were good, and that it was the entry into the body which contaminated them. But there were certain Jews who believed that these souls were already good and bad. The writer of the Book of Wisdom says, Now I was a child, good by nature, and a good soul fell to my lot. Also, in the time of our Lord Jesus, certain Jews did believe that a man's affliction, even if it be from birth, might come from sin that he had committed before he was born. Which is a strange idea. And it may seem to us almost unimaginable. But at its heart lies the idea of a sin-infected universe. The alternative was that the man's affliction was due to the sin of his parents. The idea that children inherit the consequences of their parents' sin is woven into the thought of the Old Testament. I, the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. Exodus 25. Also Exodus 34, 7 or Numbers 14, 18. Of the wicked man, the psalmist says, may the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Psalm 109, verse 14. The prophet Isaiah talks about their iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers and goes on to say, I will measure into their bosom payment for their former doings. Isaiah 65, 67. One of the keynotes of the Old Testament is that the sins of the fathers are always visited upon the children. Prophet Ezekiel, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. It must never be forgotten that no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. When a man sins, he sets in motion a train of consequences which has no end. These are thoughts from Barclays. Now, let us um, go to our Lord Jesus Christ to answer the perplexity. Verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said our Lord Jesus Christ. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. First, we must note that our Lord Jesus did not address the general question of the connection between sin and sickness as a universal principle. 
We also note that he had already told the paralytic from the pool of Bethesda that sin was at the heart of his sickness. But what his answer says to you and I is that there can be no generalization on this question. Yes, some sicknesses may be as a result of sin, but certainly not every sickness or debilitating disease. We recall his statement about the affliction of the hunchback or the woman with a spinal deformity in Luke 13, verse 10. On a Shabbat, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she strengthened up. She straightened up and praised God. Hallelujah. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Shabbat, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Shabbat. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Shabbat untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years, be set free on the Shabbat day from what bound her? We note that the Bible makes a clear distinction between sicknesses from maladies and sicknesses from demonic afflictions. As we read in Matthew 8, 16, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. From all these, we may conclude that certain afflictions are indeed as a result of sin, but definitely not all. Like in the case of this man that was blind from birth, However, what is important to note is that there is forgiveness for all those whose maladies are a product of sin. As we see in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. We must accept that this study is not academic. The way our Lord Jesus ministered in his time was that he dissected the root cause of each person's malady and dealt with it first, making it possible for God's power to flow out of compassion to them. 
This is the purpose of the gift of discernment of spirits revealed in 1 Corinthians 12.10. To another is given the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. On several occasions, our Lord Jesus addressed the spirit behind the affliction by name. Like in Mark 9.25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Enter him no more. Who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind. And the answer from our Lord Jesus was neither. Here is verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. For this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. This reason is quite unique. To this man, it does not justify anyone saying that he or she is sick so that the work of God may be displayed in his or her life. No, this answer is not a basis for unbelief. We can say this without fear of contradiction because the work of God that was displayed in this man was that he received a miracle, a brand new set of eyes from our Lord Jesus. The work of God is displayed in our healing and not in our continuing sickness. That allows each of us the freedom to believe God for miraculous interventions in our lives, no matter our malady, no matter what afflicts us. Besides, the grace of God is made sufficient for us as we face the ups and downs of life, Amen. through the spirit of grace, we are empowered to show inner strength in the face of adversity and show love and forgiveness when we are hurt. So, no matter what the underlying cause of a malady, if it is sin that is the foundation of the sickness, then repentance and cleansing in the blood of Jesus will create a new foundation for the miracle of healing to come to us. So, what is important, like our Lord Jesus Christ did here, was to discern the foundation, the basis. That's what the spiritual gifts are all about. And so sometimes, I have been uh, 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 also in ministry, someone that was sick. I, I probably told this story before. and um, and um, um, she was pregnant, the lady was pregnant, and her uh, anemia was persistent, no matter what the doctors did or didn't do. And then um, um, the husband's father um, took them to some place where the gentleman said, yes, there's something there, there's something there. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to bring goat and this and the other, you know, to make a sacrifice. And the young man said, I came here out of respect for my father, but if that's the solution you're offering, please, that's where we stop. We go for no further. And the man said, oh, in that case, either the child will die or both the woman and the child will die. 
And the young man said, I'm ready to take that risk. And then the sister brought her to us and we, we prayed. And as we were praying, the Holy Spirit revealed that there were 18 devils suppressing her. And when they were all cast out, her blood, her, her anemia, relieved, she, her PCV rose, she had her baby, everything was normal. So, so it, 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 what is important in, in these situations is to sense what the matter is and, and deal with it like our Lord Jesus Christ did. He said, this one, this particular sickness has nothing to do with sin. Some may have, others may be as a result of demonic oppression, you know, but whichever, our Lord Jesus Christ came he healed the sick. He cast out the devils. And that is what he has sent us to do. So having dealt with that, he began to speak about maximizing the time. Maximizing the time. As long as it is day, he said in verse 4, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Our Lord Jesus was very conscious of the fact that he had a limited time to accomplish his mission on earth. So he may have said this with respect to what he had purposed to cover on that day. That would teach us to maximize each day and accomplish as much as we are able for the kingdom of God and for our Christ in the time we have available. Somebody has said, and it's true, that nobody recalls yesterday. For yesterday is gone forever. So what we failed to do that we should have done yesterday, yes, we cannot recall that time. And some of those opportunities may be lost. Also, our Lord Jesus Christ may have been alluding to the night of the cross at Calvary when his crucifixion would mark the end of his mission. The night is coming. The night is coming. So this is your opportunity to receive the light of God. And that is true of us also. It is the opportunity to learn the principles of godliness, to learn to follow Christ, to submit our lives to Christ, so that. Sorry about that. So that we can live eternity in time. So this teaches us to focus on the assignment we receive from God, each one and pursue it with strength and vigor until we are done. Remember John 17, verse 4. Our Lord Jesus said, I've glorified you on the earth. And how? I have finished the work you gave me to do. That's how we glorify God on the earth. And now we go to um, a thought that um, we had already met in the previous chapter. Verse 5, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Ego, I mean, I am the light of the world. 
Our Lord Jesus Christ may have said this on this occasion with respect to the blind man. As the light of the world, he's in a position to restore sight to blind eyes. Besides, this could also be in the context of what we had seen before in John chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And this light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. This was echoed in John chapter 3, verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. The light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. As the light of the world, our Lord Jesus restores the sight of the physically blind. And he also relieves the pitch darkness in the soul of the spiritually blind. So both ways, Jesus is the light of the world. For those who are physically blind, he restores their sight. And for those who are spiritually blind, he illuminates their heart to drive the darkness of sin and evil away. And so whatever your darkness may be, you and I can come to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and say, Lord Jesus, restore my sight, whether it be physical or spiritual. Now, let us um, um, take a little time to look at the healing method that our Lord Jesus used. Verse 6 says, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Hallelujah. Wow. What we see here is a great lesson in faith that believes the word that was spoken. With his saliva, our Lord Jesus made a paste from sand and rubbed it on the blinded eyes that were blinded from birth. Now, if you were there, <laughs> how would you react to that? Yuck. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say, Lord, the man is blind. Why put more mud on his eyes to finally remove whatever vestiges of sight there could be? The bystander would wonder, what is he doing to him? Notice that the blind man did not solicit for healing. That's interesting. He didn't ask to be healed. Unlike the leper, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, 
And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The same we would say of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, from verse 46. They came to Jericho as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. But in this case, it was totally different. Perhaps because he was born blind, because perhaps there were no crowds making noise to signal that something unusual was around him. Okay. The man didn't uh, um, res uh, respond in, in, at all to the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ around him. Maybe he was, not, was totally unaware of it, in fairness. So it was the disciples who called attention to his case. For the purpose of solving this perennial question of the connection between sin and sickness. Okay? That's how God brings uh, our case you know, sometimes we are not the ones presenting our case. Someone else is prompted to present our case for their own reason. But then as a result of that, we find a solution to our own dilemmas. So, Jesus, by pasting sand on his eyes, the blind man would have to believe and make his way to the pool to wash so he could see. It's the same like, uh, um, or as uh, Elisha said to Naaman, go and bath seven times in River Jordan, and then you will be clean. If you don't believe it, if you don't respond positively to it, then nothing is going to happen. It was like the serpent in the wilderness. If you are beaten by the real serpent, you have to crawl or walk or be dragged to the serpent of bronze. And as soon as you look, the power of God will heal you. And I know that there was no uh, medicine in the serpent. But when a man goes to that serpent and looks, he's saying to God, I believe what you have said. And I will do as you say. And then as a result of that faith, the power of God comes to bring about the healing. So it is important for you and I in our walk in life to understand that several situations that confront us, they require us to trust God, to walk by faith. That's why the scriptures tell us that the just shall live by faith. It's not just come alive by faith. The just will come alive by faith. But the just will also continue to live by faith. And that's why in every situation, you know, where we have opportunity to rise up and trust God and believe God, we should jump at it because that's how we grow spiritually. By the time we learn to trust God, yes, everybody says it's not possible. Yes, everybody says nothing is going to happen. But then 
you heard differently. But then you are prompted differently. And then you can come in and say, Lord, I believe. I will do as you say. And then divine intervention becomes a testimony for our lives. And that's the origin of this life-changing encounter. A man born blind. The disciples who noted his predicament. And now our Lord Jesus responds with compassion. Now, this story is very fascinating. This is just the very beginning. Because it is a story that reveals the awesome power of a personal encounter. It's like the man that was told God is dead. And then he said to the man who, who, who said that, you are too late. I just spoke to him. So it's important, you know, to understand the place and power of a personal encounter with God. I tell my story all the time, how I got saved, having gone to that meeting and walking away, and how the Spirit spoke to me. So when you have a personal encounter, when God has spoken to you, when God has led you to an experience, it is so that that experience will be an anchor for your faith. And we will see how this was so awesomely and powerfully demonstrated by this man that received such a blessing. So, the man who did not know about our Lord Jesus received an awesome miracle through his compassion, through the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he was determined, as we shall see, to resist every pressure of zealots and bigots to downplay the significance of his life-transforming encounter with the Lord. That's what happens. Those encounters become the pillar that keep us steady as we travel through the changing fortunes of life so that we will always be loyal to the one who saved us, to the one who called us. Have you had a life-changing encounter? An encounter that opened your eyes, that made you realize that there is a heaven to go to. There is a call of God upon your life, no matter what profession you are in. That there is a mission for you to fulfill. Let us learn from this man to tell the world around us what the Lord has done for us. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Doctor. Um, is it also possible, sir, that the question, who did sin, was to hide the fact that they had no power to do anything for the man? Well, I really can't say that, although some people might think that. But um, it, it wasn't like um, the issue in Mark 9 when they were left alone with the man. No, this was, they, they just came out of the temple and they were on their way, you know? So, so it is very unlikely that that was the case. 
But what, what may seem likely is that they are very familiar with the man because you couldn't see a blind man on the road and say he was born blind. So they must have known the man. And, you sure. know, these are people who, you know, have been about around and about Jerusalem and the environs. So they, 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 they must have known this man and known his story, you know. And so they were able to say, oh, 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 now this is our chance to solve this question. Now that the master is here with us. So I, I, I really don't think so. Um, I think the, the more likely reason is that this is a perplexity. Um, in the community or in the society. And, and, and it, it, it's still here with us. It's still here with us, you know, because a lot of people generalize on this, you know. So because our Lord Jesus said, don't sin again, a worse thing can come upon you. So the tendency may be to think that everybody who is seriously ill, anybody who is chronically ill, they may have sinned in some grievous way. You know, nobody is in a position to say that. There's no generalization about that. But it is possible that it is true. It is possible. And that's why it's important, really, that since we know that sin can be a cause of serious sickness, this is the more incentive to stay away from sin and to lead godly lives. Thank you, Doctor. But for those who are called to minister healing, the compassion should focus towards more for the solution than for the source. No, no, the, the, the source is important to the solution. You know, because in the, in the man who, who was dropped from the roof, the first thing our Lord Jesus Christ said was to get, out, get rid of the sin that is the obstacle. Your sins, son, your sins are forgiven you. You know, so now when the people murmured and said, ah, why is he forgiving sins? It's okay now, 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 wait a moment. Which one do you think is easier? To say, arise, take up your bed and walk, or to say your sins are forgiven you. You know, if I say your sins are forgiven you, okay, as the foundation of your healing, nobody there could say, oh, well, you know, he has to get to heaven to find out whether his sins are forgiven him. But then if I say, arise, now that your sins have been forgiven you, arise, take up your bed and walk, then you will know his sins are really forgiven. Because the people there, they know that sin and sickness are connected. That's what they believe. That's why we went through all that length, looking at the Jewish beliefs on the matter. Mm. So they so, understood that because his sins were forgiven, the power of God came down and healed him. So we also must discern by the Spirit, like the Lord Jesus. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not everything that uh, can go um, um, like that. So sometimes it's necessary to, because the individual might actually need to, to, to repent in a specific way. You know, so there is no generalization. That's the point our Lord Jesus was making by saying neither. So, so then addressing Jesus's um, um, approach to the particular problem, he says, neither the parents, neither the man, nor his parents, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. Can you speak to that further, sir? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, because you see, 
this is the, 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 the privilege of the all-knowing God, the mind of the all-knowing God. This is, this is it, it's, it's not, the, the, in other words, what our Lord Jesus Christ was saying is that this encounter may look as if it was serendipitous, it's by chance, but really it isn't. This encounter was ordained to happen so that the power of God can be revealed through this man. So, so that's, a, that's a totally unique thing. You know, and so that's why our Lord Jesus made that statement. It, this encounter is not an accident. You know, it is here. And, and when you follow the story, you see why. Because the man became a very powerful witness for Christ. Okay, there's, there's a question here from, um, it says, sometimes some believers refer to Hezekiah's incident that because he sinned, God judged him even though he was given additional length of life. So if they disobeyed God, that sin allowed illness or even death to come. However, on the other hand, the Bible makes us understand that no sin is too difficult for God to forgive. Sir, where is the balance? I don't think the, the Hezekiah's uh, problem um, was um, um, sin. You know, I, 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 the Bible doesn't really say that. He was sick, okay? And the prophet came and said, put your house in order. You're going home. And then Hezekiah went before God and said, ah, oh, after all I have done, after all the uh, revival I brought in the land, after I destroyed all the worship of idols, ah, you should treat me, uh, uh, give me some concession. Okay, I, um, Isaiah came back. And said, okay, you won't die again. Um, uh, God has given you a reprieve. The life is extended. Okay, so so now the, the sun had to move backwards 15 degrees to, to cement that. All of that story is in the Bible. But the, the, the sin was after he recovered. <laughs> the sin was after he recovered. It wasn't before he recovered that the Babylonians came to greet him. We came to greet you. You know, don't forget that the Babylonians were, 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 were outside, you know, uh, besieging Jerusalem before Sennacherib, no, that was the Assyrians, before Sennacherib was, I mean, was demolished by the angel. So, so, so now, now when they came from Babylon to, 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 to greet him, oh, we've had you, you were sick, oh, you are miraculously recovered. And so, and so Hezekiah was so excited and he went and showed them everything in his kingdom. And then the prophet comes and says, who are the people who came to see you? So they came from a far place. Said, oh, really? I hope you didn't show them anything. Said, ah, I showed them everything. Ah, okay, the time is coming. When everything you showed them, they will carry it to their place. So, so they, they, that, that error um, was not before his healing. It was after his healing. So it is still important to note that you cannot quantify you pontificate. You cannot uh, 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 say categorically what is wrong, except by the Spirit. Except by the Spirit. So don't stand in judgment of anybody. Pray for God's compassion and healing. And if God uses you to minister, it might, might reveal to you what needs to be done for this man to be delivered from the oppression of sickness. So, which is a good place to, to, to land, sir. 
each of us must ask for the discernment of the Holy Spirit oh, in yes. situations like that. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't generalize, but note that sin can cause sickness. Okay? Also note that God can ordain to magnify his power through the life of a person. And so, but that, that glory is through their healing. It's not mm -hmm. through their continued sickness. That's important yeah. to know. Yes, sir. So, sir, can you pray for all of us that we will all receive this endowment of power so that we can go out and do the work that brings glory to God by healing the sick? Yes, yes sir. Yes, it's important to really bear this in mind because sometimes when people uh, hear this, they're like, oh, discernment of spirit. Oh, you know, who am I? Well, maybe the big people. No, no, no. It's important to understand that the spirit is given without measure. That's what we learned earlier in John chapter 3. The spirit is given without measure. So it's not as if some people have more Holy Spirit, some people have less Holy Spirit. No, the Spirit is given without measure. So what does that mean? It is my capacity to receive and express that is in question. And that capacity comes by faith and by complete dependence. You see, when, when, when they say, if you, what things soever you ask when you pray, believe that you have received and you will have. And then someone kneels down and says, Lord, release unto me the gift of the discernment of spirit. I thank you. I have received it. And then goes forth to begin to operate in it. So you find yourself in a situation and say, Lord, what spirit is working here? You know, so that that gift can begin to express. You know, but some people may be waiting. Oh, I have prayed to receive the gift of discernment of spirit. Now, but when I prayed, my ear didn't uh, 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 flap spontaneously. Neither did my uh, body tremble a bit. No, it's faith that is needed. It is faith that is needed. And you believe. And then you go out and you begin to work with what you believe. And then the word God will give utterance, will give manifestation through it. That's how faith works. That's why it's not difficult to walk by faith. Amen. Once you believe that you have received, then you go out to act on what you believe, and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. So let Amen. us pray. Father, here we are, your children, vessels in your hand. Please help us to purge ourselves of everything that offends you, so that sin will not hinder us. Amen. Either by afflicting us, causing us affliction, or by hindering us in manifesting and exercising the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, we surrender ourselves to you. We come into your most holy presence through the blood of Jesus. And we join the angels to worship your majesty and to ask that you empower us with the gifts appropriate to where we are and what we are doing. So that through the fruit and the gift of the Spirit, God will be glorified in our lives and through us. Oh, make every vessel under the sound of my voice to be effective and be productive to the glory of your most holy name. For it's in Jesus' precious name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Amen.